keep you alive. You were in an accident. And I saved your life by bringing you here. And everyone outside of here is dead. What happened to your arm? Were you trying to escape? I was trying to get in. What was that? Quiet. How do you know that this is real? Welcome to Creature Features. <laughs> right. Welcome to Chewing the Scenery. Yeah, here. You do the intro. <laughs> welcome, to, welcome to Chewing the Scenery, a horror movie podcast. This is a podcast by horror fans, for horror fans. We discuss horror movies of all errors. Of all errors? Errors. Uh, we're not crickets. <laughs> well. We're the unemployable. <laughs> and and the shifty type uh we will spoil movies because i enjoy doing that mm-hmm. a movie should be able to enjoy being spoiled i mean yeah maybe the unusual or the usual suspects oh yeah. may have been a may have been one that you didn't want spoiled right you know um i'd say the sixth cent six cents but I figured it out about two minutes into that movie, and I felt bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. You feel like, God, am I smarter than literally everybody? <laughs> yeah. It was like, why'd they cut there? He must... Oh, he's dead. Oh. It explains everything. And the color design of that movie? Yeah. I, I think before I quite figured out that, oh, this guy's a ghost, I was going, you know, just before every certain type of thing happens, there's something red, like mm-hmm. really conspicuously red. Like, I've been in a million old houses over the years, and I've never seen one of those crystal doorknobs that was red. Yeah. And uh, just red, red. It's kind of like when you watch Flatliners, and there's that fucking plastic hanging everywhere. Yes. Oh, my God. That Whoever did the set design on that was like, more... More, more pla- hanging plastic. More Get some fans on that. Make it blow around. <laughs> Maybe that was just cheaper than sets. All right, thank the Moon Rays, and let's talk about this thing. All right. <laughs> uh, we'd like to thank the Moon Rays for their song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. Find their music on iTunes or Amazon. Find them on Facebook, where they are, The Moon-Rays. There it is. There it is. Let's talk about 10 Cloverfield Lane. All right. What you watched since we talked about Anaconda? I haven't watched anything. All right, because we're been... doing this immediately after Anaconda. Yes, yes. a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, we're, we're doing two episodes back to back because I want to talk about this movie while it's still fresh. Oh man, good movie! I liked it. I liked it a lot until the end. You know, what if? Um, oh wait, spoiler alerts! We didn't do that yet. Um, the movies oh, we I talk said about I'd spoil everything. Oh, I guess you did. You know, well, uh, that well, wasn't a joke, people. We are gonna. We're I'm going to spoil Ten Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> All right. Um, Brief rundown of the plot. Uh, a lady named uh, Michelle is broken up with her boyfriend, and she's driving somewhere. And you don't Fucking really know. Ben. Ben calls and asks Pulling her to some come back. Straight up Ben bullshit. Then she's in a car accident, a uh, pretty violent one, and wakes up on a gurney in some sort of little room, and she's her knee is in a brace and it's handcuffed to the bed and she has an IV. And then Howard comes in, played by John Goodman, who's excellent and should be in way more movies than he is. No kidding. Um, he's got great range. And he's immediately creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, he tells her, well, he didn't tell her anything at first. 
Yeah. And then he eventually tells her that the world is ended mm-hmm. and they're trapped down there. And they're going to be down there for a couple of years. And then we meet Emmett, who is a local yokel who helped uh, Howard build his end of the world bunker. Uh, he's a bearded dumbass. He's a bearded dumbass. And uh, he's got a broken arm or a broken shoulder blade or something. You know, something. I don't know what's wrong with his arm. But he says he hurt it trying to fight his way in to mm-hmm. the bunker. He reveals that later. Yeah, later. I think John Goodman's character, what's what's his name? Howard. Howard. I think Howard says uh, something. He did that to himself. Yeah. And he, and knocking over a shelf of food. And you wonder what what's going on. You never know where Howard stands. Right. Um, Michelle's pretty sharp, though. He comes in and gives her some crutches and the key to the handcuffs. And she sharpens the end of one of the crutches into a point. Although I would have grounded on the sidewalk, on the cement floor. It'd be a lot faster than trying to whittle with that little tiny screwdriver blade. Yeah. But uh, she tries to, she starts a fire. And when Howard comes in to check out the fire, she tries to stab him. Stab you, stab you. But he, (laughs) he's a little bit quicker because I believe she's probably dehydrated and in shock. So, uh. And if he's medicated her at all, which he may have, she could be dopey. Yeah, she could be dopey. Um, and he tells her at some point, you know, like, uh, what are you going to, she says, what are you going to do with me? And he's like, oh, keep you alive. And he seems <laughs> creepy. And he tells her something after the, the, the crutch incident, like, oh, you got a lot of fight in you. I like that, which sounded totally creepy too. It did, didn't it? And uh, so you, you're left wondering, is Howard, is he lying or has the world really ended? And you um, won't know this literally for the whole film yeah. until the very end. And it's fantastic. It's it a, is so taut, taut and suspenseful. Suspenseful. And so uh, well, at some point they hear noises above and... Howard says, oh, it's aliens. He's convinced they're aliens. Howard is also a conspiracy nut and obviously a survivalist who's got some serious paranoia going on. But you could explain that if the world had really ended, would the guy be, you know, guy who now has two extra mouths to feed really be so cheery he wouldn't be cheery i don't think i think he'd be stressed out like howard appears right you know and howard's although he seems crazy what he says makes sense in a way right like he he says i won't let you use the bathroom alone Mm -hmm. you can shut the shower curtain because he has a toilet in the shower Mm -hmm. excellent idea yep (laughs) (laughs) um but Anyway, they hear big rumbling noises above ground, and a light starts flashing, and Howard says that the air filtration unit needs to be reset. So, in what was kind of confusing, Michelle has to crawl through the ductwork, but what was Howard going to do if he was the only one down there and that needed happening? Well, if you remember, there was a hatch that was stuck. Yeah. Now, I didn't understand how or why that hatch was stuck, and why he didn't go through some measures to pry it or ram the thing open, especially knowing that there might be some stuff up there that she wasn't supposed to see. Yeah. But anyway, she crawls up to a hatch, a little room and there's a little window and she crawls up to it. You can't really see out. And then she slides the, the cover open a little more and somebody scratched the word help on the inside of the glass. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she sees lovely blue skies otherwise. Yeah, otherwise it looks great. Doesn't look like there's anything going on out there. She crawls down and she finds an earring. Now, Howard has mentioned a Megan several times. You find out Megan is his daughter who his ex-wife has taken to live in Chicago. Right. She's dead now because the aliens. Right. Um, or so Howard says. He showed, um, he showed Michelle a picture he said was Megan, but... Michelle recognizes the earring and goes and asks Emmett. And Emmett says, I know that girl. She was in my high school. She disappeared two years ago. 
Uh-huh. You're like, shit, is Howard a psycho? Has the world ended? Could both be true? And that's where I was thinking both are true. Yeah. Um, Something's definitely wrong if dumbass Emmett, who, by the way, he this is the kind of guy who normally drinks Coors Light. But when he's feeling really fancy and wants to splurge a little, he drinks Michelob Light. Yeah, this is this is this guy. Yeah, he's, he's a sharp guy. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna live and die in the small town that, that he grew up in. It's yeah, just, uh, this is the kind of guy he. He is. tells a story about being a track star and he could have gone to college on a full scholarship, but he freaked out because he didn't think he'd be good enough for college. So he sabotaged himself. He sa- sabotaged himself. Yeah. Um, Michelle trusts Emmett more than I think she should have. Right. Because you can't tell why would he, he could be in on it. Yeah. Why is he so trustworthy to her? He's already it's, in there when she's arrives as far as yeah. she knows. He helped build the place. Yeah. So you've been in cahoots with this nutter for how long? You know, but at the same time, he seems like he doesn't really trust Howard either. Right. He knows Howard knows his shit, but Howard at the same time is a paranoid conspiracy theorist. At some point earlier in the movie, uh, Michelle clocks Howard over the head with a soda bottle and runs up the stairs after stealing his keys and tries to get out. And there's a woman outside screaming to get in. And she's burned or something. She's burned or something. Something's wrong with her. And uh, the scene ends and, and Michelle's and you don't know what happened. To the lady, obviously she didn't get in, but Michelle's back in her room. But um, the movie rolls on. They don't know what's going on. You can't trust Howard. Uh, Michelle and Emmett decide to make. Michelle's a fashion designer. She decides to make a, uh, a, a like a biological suit out of an old shower curtain and some soda bottles and what yeah. else they find. She MacGyver's up this suit. Um, and this was kind of based on her joking little sketches she did over the top of those old magazines. Yeah. Right? Fashion for the apocalypse. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Howard finds out and he he says a couple things before then that he, maybe he knows, maybe he doesn't. Right. You know, um, you never know where you stand with Howard. And he, he calls a, a meeting and he takes them in to a room and he pulls out this big barrel of some sort of acid yeah uh that was used for fuel i don't know how he explained it but he worked with satellites and i don't know if any of that was true or it was all bullshit but basically it's a big blue barrel a la breaking bad (laughs) yep a bucket of acid breaking bad spoilers (laughs) yeah wow wow it happens pretty early and often yeah uh second or third episode yeah, uh, so uh, he uh, Howard accuses Michelle, and, and or he shows Michelle and Emmett some scissors and some other stuff he has, and Emmett says, Michelle didn't have anything to do with it. I wanted to get your gun. I wanted to be powerful, powerful so she would like me. And Howard pulls out a gun and shoots Emmett right in the head. Didn't really expect that kind of Did reaction. Did not expect that at all. I thought he might reach in with that chemical glove and splash him in the face. That's what I was expecting, that he was going to splash him with it, but, uh, you know, or burn his hand or something. Right. But no, he up and ups just kills him. Yeah. Uh, now Michelle knows she has to get the hell out of there. So he's got body dissolving chemicals and he's just shot a dude in the head. Yeah. So she, uh, what does she do? Oh, he comes in and sees her working on the suit in her room. Yeah. And I don't remember what she does, but she gets past him and uh, she shuts the door behind him because she has a big door on her room yeah. and dumps a uh, shelving unit in front of it and runs. And he gets out and he says something like, is this how you, you know, what, repay me? Right, for, and for saving you. Yeah. For saving you. And she says, no, this is how I do it. And she kicks over the barrel of acid, and Howard gets, he falls down, and it gets burned horribly. And he's screaming, 
and it burns the floor and it burns a socket or a light uh, fixture lamp cord and starts a fire. She runs and grabs the jumpsuit and goes through the tunnel for the air, air filter. Howard stabs through the air, the vent, you know, the air uh, shaft. He's doing pretty times. good for being severely burned. Yeah, he is. And, uh, but she gets out and she, she breaks out and outside seems fine. She tears her jumpsuit, though. Because she notices birds and other she animals. She sees some birds, yeah. If the air is fucked and everything can't live, there yeah. wouldn't be flying, singing birds. Yeah, earlier Howard had showed her two pigs who had died uh, from the gas that's supposed to be out there. So she decides that she she can breathe the air. She takes the mask off. It's okay. And then she gets up on a truck and she looks around and... Uh, uh, notices something coming towards her. This Hunger Games looking vehicle. <laughs> yeah. So this is where I would have ended the movie. That would have been great. Right there. I would have ended the movie. It would have been ambiguous. I may not even put the flying saucer in. I may have just had some smoke on the horizon. Is the city burning? What is that? Her reaction shot. Her reaction shot. There's no gas anymore. But was Howard right? Is she totally fucked now because she, he, his bunker blew up? Yeah. I mean, she had to get out of here. He was clearly a nut, but she got into something worse. But no, then we go into this action movie thing that it's a big alien that walks around and it picks up her truck and she throws a Molotov cocktail into its mouth and it dies, drops the truck, and then she drives on and here's the radio report that People are in Houston and they need help because they live in Houston. <laughs> uh, and uh, decides to go to Houston and it ends. There's also a weird change in the daylight because when she gets out, it looks like it's about three in the afternoon. Hmm. And then the the <clears throat> bunker explodes and there's a bunch of smoke coming out. And the aliens come by and they blow some gas around. She gets the gas mask back on. But then it gets really dark, really quick. Hmm. And I think it was just to disguise the fact that it was a big CGI thing. I could not see on my TV what the hell was going on. Like, what's this supposed what, to even Yeah, what be? am I seeing here, movie? It's just like shaky cams and some lights here and there and maybe her face. Uh, but yeah, I think if they had ended the movie when she crawled out and you did not know if Howard had been lying or not, right, would have been great because they added the alien. I think they, they tried to have it both ways, right? They wanted her to get away from Howard, but they gave up the ambiguity. Yeah. But they also wanted the aliens. That's true. They wanted, you know, and yeah. so the aliens blow any tension you've had for you know was howard right or not and if they had had that ambiguity i think uh it would have been a lot more powerful ending yeah i agree you know what do you think of this film i really enjoyed it now i would say there was a movie i watched recently which i don't know if you've seen it's called the room or maybe it's just called room room yeah the room by tommy wiseau is something else okay room was the one and, and i think it's titled that because the the little kid in it um just calls it room the way you would say a place is home yeah you know um and it's about a woman who's um who's being basically held captive in a room which looks like a like a tough shed or one of those kind of things that you erect on your property and use for storage. But this thing is like kind of really fortified with heavy doors and concrete or whatever. And this woman is raising a child that she gave birth to in room. So they live their whole life in this tiny room. Well, the child's whole life up to however old, six or seven or whatever. And it kind of reminds me of that where you're dealing with a crazy person who's you know definitely got whatever whatever their pervy thing is about holding somebody captive and being in control you know so you have all this going in this movie and of course with room you're really sure right away that this guy is is just a, a kidnapper rapist jerk off yeah and uh you know the, the, this is the worst kind of person who 
you know, makes other people do what he wants against their will. And what's different about uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane is that um, John Goodman's character is is uh, possibly doing as he says and helping people and saving them, although it may not be in his best interest long-term plan. Uh, is there going to be enough food? Uh, can they keep things going? And for how long? How long is it going to be bad out there? And uh, and so that's the big difference here, is that if the, if there's some truth to some of the stuff this guy says, then you kind of have to put up with him. If it turns out that he's a nut, which you have no way of confirming or denying, then what he's doing is not okay. Yeah. And of course, one of the things um, that we that you didn't mention that I know you probably really enjoyed was when she notices his truck parked outside has the oh, damage on it. Yes, yes. And, and she puts it together that she puts it together and he comes up and he apologizes to her and says that when whatever event happened, he was racing home and he ran into her car. And that's why he rescued. And her. that's why he rescued her, which makes sense. Yeah. It makes him seem sympathetic, but it, and again, you don't know. Did he, he just see know. a pretty girl in traffic and then drop behind or speed up or whatever yeah. and run her off the road? You yeah. Um, does he have some Adam and Eve repopulate the earth nonsense in mind? What, you know? <laughs> That's a good possibility. You don't, yeah, I don't know where you stand with Howard. And I think a lot of that was John Goodman's acting. Because he could go from being a shouty psychopath to being... Just a nice kind of easygoing Midwestern guy, you know. When they were playing the uh, the board game where you give clues and they're supposed to guess, like, yeah, the Who Am I game, whatever the, whatever mm-hmm. it was supposed to be, uh, the fact that he's saying things that that sort of seem like I'm on to you, and he's revealing to them. I see everything you do. Right? Yes. I watch everything you do. Yes, yeah. I can be anywhere. Yeah, and it turns out that he's describing Santa Claus. Yeah. Scares the living shit out of both of them. Yeah. And they they almost kind of tip their hand as to the fact that, okay, okay, you got us. You know, you, you think they're going to, like, give up their secret just because he's giving these really weird, like, insistent and almost rageful-sounding clues. Like, there's a quiet rage to what he's saying. Yeah. But he delivers a lot of his dialogue with, with a really weird style so you're like oh man this guy's got some ptsd or something's wrong with him you know he's former military and maybe maybe he has some uh, damage from that you know maybe some war stuff and it just turns out um later on that all of that may be true and it looks like maybe he is a kidnapper rapist uh murderer but he's also right about the aliens yeah so both can be true. They're not mutually exclusive ideas. Yeah. <laughs> so we get this. And uh, what's really crazy about this movie, I do believe some of the choices that were made at the end, and I think you agree, um, were made to appease the audience in a Hollywood ending kind of way. Definitely. I mean, you could say this is a happy ending. She escapes and she's possibly heading to safety. You know, for for her to be witnessing something awful and we don't see exactly what it is would have been, like you said, that would have been a great ending. Yeah. Or, or I thought, what if they went totally, you know, negative ending and she gets up there, the bunker's burned and she realizes for whatever reason there is poison gas. Right. And she dies. It just takes a minute. Like and it she, doesn't affect birds. <laughs> yeah. And she can't get in. She has nowhere to go. Yeah. You know, uh, but I, I think I think they added these this ending or for the reason you, you state uh, it's a Hollywood ending. They wanted some action at the end. Yeah. And although they deny that it's related to Cloverfield, I, I don't buy it. Um, They're the same same production company. Yeah. Bad Robot. Bad Robot. Um I think they're setting this up for a third movie where it'll reveal that these events were happening at the same time. As the found footage Cloverfield movie. Yes. Which I loved when the Statue of Liberty's head comes Oh man, that trailer was so awesome. And then you watch the film and it is deadly dull. 
Yeah, it's and it, stupid. It's not exciting, and and you know I I do remember that I got through it without hating it, and I enjoyed the ride to whatever extent. But it should have been more. It should have been better, and they could have done. I mean, found footage was still excusable at the time. I guess maybe is why they chose that. But if they had done that, you know, just with normal filmmaking techniques, I think it would have been a better movie. It would have been because it becomes ridiculous that the guy is still filming, even though they're jumping across buildings that are falling down and there's big monsters uh, that can sneak up on you, even though they're 20 stories tall. They can get up right behind you as well as tanks can also sneak up on you and you don't hear them. Um, Yeah, I think if they had done traditional filmmaking, this would Cloverfield would have been a better movie. Because I was just sick of the spinning camera by the end, oh, yeah. and I, I could not care about the the characters. But the um, the script with a very small cast, and the you know the the writing, the casting, the acting, the the directing, everything. I'm really happy with Ten Cloverfield Lane. Yes, and uh, keeping it small like that. I mean, I don't know what their budget was. Like, if you could separate what the last ten minutes of the movie from the rest of it. I mean, it's one, you know, it's one location. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's several sets that they built, but it's it's set in one location. With three characters. With three characters. Yeah. And that could be done so inexpensively. Like an independent filmmaker using no-name actors mm-hmm. could do this thing so cheaply. It would be great. I yeah. Sh- I should say so inexpensively. So inexpensively, yes. And... That suspense of not knowing what's if Howard's telling the truth is excellent. You ride the whole movie out on that. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, we've been trained to sort of, uh, sort of enjoy this type of thing since, well, there's plenty of, you know, written things, plenty of books and, and short stories, but Twilight Zone, a lot, you know, a lot of that zinger ending or that not knowing till the ending. Yeah. Or not really knowing for sure when it ends. This is all great. This is kind of, that's what worked about all that stuff back then, back in the 50s and 60s. Yeah. And, uh, of course, that stuff was way better than the movies that showed in the drive-ins, clearly. I mean, somebody like Rod Serling, who really cared, was behind Twilight Zone. Yeah. And I always, even as a little kid, I always really enjoyed that stuff where it just creeped you out because you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And either you did or you didn't find out at the very end. Yeah. And it was almost better when you didn't. Yeah. And you had to figure it out for yourself. I don't think people like an ambiguous ending, though. No. I think it upset a lot of people. Um, I'm not basing this on anything, but... Uh, World War Z. <laughs> <laughs> I did not see World War Z. I heard such terrible things about it. Um, there's a story, and I don't know if you've ever heard the story... I don't know how it would come across if I read it now. I was probably in second or third grade, but we had this in, in our reading textbook. It was a story called Mexicali Soup. Okay. And it's um, this Mexican grandmother who makes dinner for the whole family, like this kind of, a, you know, the the whole family lives together. There's the the couple and their kids, and then the grandmother and whomever else lives under the roof. Uh, it's, it's a larger family and, uh, she's going, it, it's whatever special occasion or whatever day of the week, she's going to make this special soup that she makes, which is called Mexicali soup. And one by one, the family members swing by to grandma who's getting ready in the kitchen and ask her to leave something out because of reasons like, oh, the teenage daughter has a date and she doesn't want garlic on her breath and oh, okay. whatever reason. So yeah. by, by the end of the story and, and, uh, you know, this isn't a huge spoiler, she, brings the pot to the table and serves up what turns out to be hot water. Yeah. Now, um, I feel like that's World War Z. World War Z is Mexicali soup. You know, like all these different people had all these different ideas. Oh, we need to add this in. We need to leave this out. By the end of it, it's just like there's no, there's nothing there to enjoy. It's just sort of like what's the most uh, better example might be that, that episode of uh, The Simpsons when Homer discovers he's got that successful brother that he didn't know about yeah and uh he owns like a 
a like car company. A car company. So he has Homer design a car for the for the common man. Yeah. <laughs> it's the most ridiculous, stupid vehicle. Oh my god. That's yes. World War Z. <laughs> That's World War Z, yeah. Uh, so this this uh this kind of thing, you know, when you see a movie that, oh, if only this thing was different, it makes me wonder. Did they change it for our dumb audiences here? Uh, by our, yeah. I mean here in the U.S. Like, I think there are other countries, other other cultures that could say, oh, so that movie had an unhappy ending. Well, at least the story was good. Yeah. But here we have to always see, you know, the, you know, the, the good guy win or, or the, the victim escape or, you know, the killer get his comeuppance. Yeah. And sometimes the story is more interesting if it doesn't go that Hollywood ending kind of way. Yeah, there's several film noirs that I enjoy, but they obvious have it, obviously have a tacked on happy ending, Hollywood happy ending there. Um, so I always, there's several, you're like, man, if it just ended two minutes sooner. Yeah, and you kind of want to do your own. This is something I enjoy is hearing. I haven't really watched any of these, but hearing about fan edits. I've watched some fan edits. Uh, what have you seen fan edits of? I've seen fan. Ed- I've seen numerous fan edits of the Star Wars prequels. Oh wow! To various degrees of success. There's only so much you can shine a turd. Right. So you just yeah. cut out all of Jar Jar Binks, and yeah. the movie's five minutes long. Yeah. I saw one that uh, somebody redubbed Jar Jar and made him. Suave, cool. Where he, yeah, he thinks he's suave and cool and a badass, but he's just this stumbly, bumbly idiot. And it kind of worked. I mean, but again, the movies are are just so bad. There's there's only so much a fan editor can do. Right. I saw a fan edit of Twin Peaks that made it into a five hour movie. Oh wow! That was fantastic. Oh man, I, I watched the hell they out of cut that. out all the nonsense from season two. Oh man. Um. I might still have a copy, and they called it Northwest Passage. Interesting. And uh, there's a couple cliffhangers that are unanswered, but that's because the series didn't ever answer them. They didn't address it. Um, what else did I watch? I watched a fan edit of Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, or whatever that was. I never saw that because I heard it was so bad. <sighs> it's terrible. I tried to watch it. I couldn't get through it. I watched the fan edit again. Not a great movie, but they made it a lot... Uh, somewhat palatable? <laughs> yeah, somewhat palatable. They they shaped it and made it a, as good of a movie, I think, as you could make out of this turkey. Right. You know, um, there's been several films that I've wanted to fan edit. I wanted to do a Black Dahlia fan edit, yeah. make it like an old film noir. Um, I don't know if you saw the movie American Gangster with Denzel Washington. Yes, I did. I wanted to cut all of Russell Crowe's bit out because he was <laughs> dull, and I only wanted to see what Frank Barnes was doing. That's the character's name. Uh, but unfortunately, my computer has never been able to Doesn't have that kind of horsepower? Yeah, I've never been able to process things. I tried my own Star Wars edit and gave up at some point because it's just it's such a bullshit series. Now, many years ago, I used to watch these things, and they're probably still hanging out there. Um, they're uh, movies reenacted in 30 seconds by bunnies. Oh, <laughs> yeah. The cartoon bunnies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, they do. Like, you know, some of the horror movies I remember seeing were like The Shining and uh, The Exorcist. And, you know, they did Pulp Fiction and a few other ones that were, you know, just fun to see. Like, how, how are you going to tell some some abbreviated version of the story that quickly and yeah. using cartoon bunnies. It's pretty cool. There's one called uh, How It Should Have Ended. Oh, which no. Which is a little That's animated great. thing. They're they're funny. Um, I have not watched a whole bunch of them, but the ones I have, I don't go up to enough new movies that I usually don't know, you know, what the hell they're talking about, you know, how Avengers 2 should have ended. Cause, oh, yeah. Because you haven't watched it, and who cares? I'm not going to make it through Avengers 2. I couldn't <clears throat> get through the first one, and I've tried two or three times. I haven't tried, Ugh. honestly. I, it's like a sleeping pill. It's like Nora Jones. <laughs> Are you talking about Ravi Shankar's daughter? Is that Nora Jones? Is that? Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, that's... All I know is she's Salmon X in musical form. 
Um, yeah, I, I don't know if, if I remember her having a famous mother or not, but uh, yeah, her father is the, the famous sitar player, Ravi Shankar. Ah. The late Ravi Shankar. Yeah. Um, Did not know that. Here I am with trivia for no apparent reason. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you mean. Some some music will knock you out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Let's see. What was the other thing I was going to bring up as far as edits go? Oh, Blade Runner. Now that, that one famously um, was messed with uh, before theatrical. Mm-hmm. They added they added the, the voiceover, that weird, really monotone, deadpan voiceover <clears throat> from Harrison Ford. Yeah. And that never felt very genuine to me. And it turns out, well, that's because that really wasn't intended to start with. And they added that on because they thought maybe the audience needed it or, you know, for whatever reason, getting the story across. But uh, I understand that um, the director's edit doesn't have that. And then Yeah, there's like six or seven edits of Blade Runner now. And if you want to... At some point in time, and we talked briefly about um, how The Wizard of Oz syncs up with Pink Floyd's The Wall. Or yeah. no, I'm sorry, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. Um, Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd syncs up with Blade Runner, apparently. Ah. I have not done this sync up, but I understand it works. I'll admit something since Jolien's not here. I don't like Blade Runner. No? No. I've watched it a couple times. It just feels so empty. It looks amazing. Yeah, Ridley Scott directed that. So, yeah. But there's nothing there. Oh, does Jolien, like, madly love that movie? I don't know, but sometimes when I criticize a movie, he's, he seems a little hurt. <laughs> some people some people do seem he a little hurt. and start sobbing. <laughs> if they like a movie and you, you don't like it, they, they take it a little personally. Unless you wrote that movie or made it, I don't really care. I'm... I'm not insulting you. I'm insulting the film. Uh, yeah, Blade Runner has never done anything for me. I've always enjoyed it. Um, I, I will say that uh, I understand when other people don't like the stuff I like, unless they just hate it, like, with no reason for hating it. Yeah, I don't hate Blade Runner. I just... You just don't. It's like going to a really fancy restaurant and then getting just... An empty... Like weird tiny food that... Tiny food, yeah, that doesn't fill you up and doesn't satisfy in any way. Like, they spent all this time on set design and this futuristic noir, which I should be way into. (sighs) Yeah. And it just never takes off for me. I can admit to one that I've heard people just go, oh my god, it's just like this, and and, and this is great, isn't it? And and that this that they refer to as the Royal Tenenbaums. Mm. I have to rewatch this at some point in time. And and I talked about this before, about a different subject. Sometimes I feel like I am just being a dick, and I need to be the bigger person and give whatever thing I'm being a dick about, I need to give it a chance and give it another watch, like, later on. And hopefully um, I can at least see what it is other people see. And one of those things I mentioned before was fucking Dane Cook, mm. the so-called comedian. He's no good. He's not funny. He's not funny. Okay, I, I was like, oh, I must be being an asshole. Uh, so I waited till I saw that one of his quote-unquote comedy specials was going to be on. Mm-hmm. I thought, I'm going to give him 30 minutes. I'm going to watch with an open mind. And sure enough, I maybe cracked a smile twice. Didn't yeah. laugh once. I kind of feel like, okay, Royal Tenenbaums, I need to watch that again because I feel like maybe there's something about it. Like Rushmore, I watched Rushmore, I like and, Rushmore. and I loved it. I love The Life Aquatic. That's one that I need to watch. I really like The Life Aquatic. I did not care for Royal Tenenbaums. Okay. It was another one where there was a lot of nothing. Right. You know, it was like, I don't know. Were they trying to, to like do that Seinfeld model of it's about nothing? I wonder if that was deliberate. No, no, I don't think so. I think it just, I think it's just a Wes Anderson thing. Um, I tried to watch the Darjeeling Express. Uh, I got like advanced screening tickets and I walked out. That one was odd. I do remember getting through it and actually enjoying it, but I don't remember it being one of those knock your socks off kind of things. Like, um, 
what is it? Moon Moonrise Kingdom. Yeah. Um, that one was really fun and very stylized. I've not seen that one. Uh, that one and uh, what, what's the uh, the hotel one? Um, anyway, that Wes Anderson one about the hotel. All that stuff, you know, it's when it's super stylized and weird. I enjoy it more, and it's got mm-hmm. a, it's got a certain pace and a weird tone. Yeah, to that's it. what I like about the Life Aquatic is it's it's got that weird, quirky Wes Anderson feel, but it doesn't feel twee and precious, right? At any time, and and there were some real problems with the Darjeeling Express that weren't just you know twee. Bits. It just should we explain the term twee to our foreign listeners? Twee is. <laughs> do you, do you know where the words derived from? No. What is twee? It would be like if a if a really goofy small child or little creature were to try to call something sweet, oh. they would just go twee. <laughs> is that really what it is? That's what I was told. It could be bullshit. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, but it means something that's sickly sweet. Yeah. In a really cute, overwhelming kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. And usually a little precious. Yeah. Usually. Think Pikachu. Yeah, sort of Pikachu could fit that. Um, yeah. yeah. Twee. Twee. <laughs> um, there are a lot of independent bands that were very twee. Yeah. In the mid 20 thousands whatever you want to call that the aughts the 20 aughts the aughts yeah the oddies yeah that were kind of twee and i can't think of anybody right now off the top of my head but does it ever does it ever bum you out when uh when really young music fans dismiss stuff that's important and think that their shitty bands are awesome no, because I was in the same place, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Although I always tried to find out what what a band I liked's influences were. So you could, yeah. Because make... that was part of the fun of listening to music in high school and college was finding what these people liked and tracing back as far as you could go. And they all end up at Lead Belly. Oh, no. yeah, of course. <laughs> they all end up at the Beatles. <laughs> at the Beatles. <laughs> the Beatles who got their stuff from the blues. Um, did I ever tell you that one about Gary Jules, the guy who did the remake of Mad World, that Tears for Fears song? That really, no. That really eerie, mm-hmm. strange one that was used for Donnie Darko. And I, yeah. feel, I feel like I might have told this story on the podcast before. Um, but uh, Gary Jules, uh, I had the... Um, the honor of meeting the man when he was sort of newly famous for that song. And I want to say that movie had been out for maybe two years at the time. And he was touring for a new album that was really good. And um, I went to some sort of a sound check or meet and greet or something like that. And there weren't a bunch of people around and he was just kind of hanging out with me and some radio people. And, um, and I, and I asked him, I said, where do you get your eerie, where'd you get the idea to do this song, this this kind of almost cheerful sounding Tears for Fear song? How did you get the idea to do it in such an eerie, almost forlorn, bizarre fashion like that? And he says to me, well, this is kind of a funny one and hopefully not a letdown, but um, some friends and I used to just kind of fuck around some other musicians where we would just be like, hey, hey, what if so-and-so sang so-and-so's song? And it turns out it was, what if Neil Young sang Tears for Fears? Oh, fantastic. And he did the exaggerated kind of nasal, slow, like kind of forlorn Neil Young version of the song. And I think his friends were kind of like, dude, that is actually really cool. So if you back off the Neil Young impersonation a little bit and just kind of play it more straight, or maybe he said that. Yeah. Either his friends or he came up with the idea like, you know what, dial that down a little and that's fucking awesome. And this is the best remake, I think, in recent history is is his version of Mad World. And uh, he told me, yeah, that's kind of it. And um, he kind of had like a, an interesting kind of almost like a tough way about him. I, I, I liked meeting him. He was an interesting guy. Yeah. And uh, the secret handshake when you start talking with musicians, um, at least it used to be this. And we're talking over 10 years ago um, is if you talk about Tom Waits and they and it turns out that they like his early stuff. 
<laughs> it's always like the secret handshake. It's like, oh, you get it. <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, I think Tom Waits from a certain point forward, I think Bone Machine forward is kind of like an acquired taste. It's so weird and gravelly and strange. Yeah, his voice has always bugged me. His early stuff where he didn't do the gravelly and the yeah. weird tone uh, is just like straight up piano lounge kind of music, mm-hmm. but weird. Yeah. And so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I, I like the two different things almost as though they are two completely different things that don't come from the same person. Yeah. But anyway, so we ended up having a good conversation about Tom Waits' early stuff, the lounge music. Um, guess what we just did? What? Totally sidetracked from the excellent movie because you can just say it's great. It's great. I highly recommend it. We should probably wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, we should, we should go ahead and do that. But um, uh, all sidetracking aside, um, back to the movie. This is a must-see, in my opinion. Yeah. It's awesome. I'd watch it. Yeah. I would watch I, re- I really, really liked it. I was disappointed with the end, but that's the end. I yeah, mean, that's what they did. You know. For, for whatever some, reason, that's what they did. That's what they did. I just, I have to accept it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the tension between those three and the bunker was fantastic. Yeah. And the I guess the point uh, that I should probably bring back around, the thing about World War Z, is that they started to make a thing and then started to try to um, change and polish every tiny little part of it and turn it into like the perfect movie that everybody will like. Mm. Because everybody likes zombies now, but we have to do like every little thing a certain way. And I think they just polished it till they polished a hole in it and then decided to pack that hole full of polish and polish it some more. <laughs> I don't know what the hell they were doing, oh. but... My understanding is from having heard some sort of Hollywood insider people um, talking on another podcast, it sounded like there were people working on this thing up until like a couple weeks before it was released. We're talking people editing, um, maybe even some reshoots just a matter of weeks before the thing is supposed to go on wide release. That's insane. Yeah. That's not how it... I hear the the newest Star Wars that's supposed to come out this year is undergoing massive reshoots for like two months right up until it's going to be released. Like, that does not sound like a good movie. They have to do almost half of the movie Yeah, uh, as reshoots. Because somebody watched it and said, mm, That's not going to work. I don't like this. Let's, you know make this more kid-friendly or let's make this more whatever. It's kind of like when um, when really sheltered grown-ups try to write the the dialogue and behavior of teenagers in a movie. Oh, man. It's embarrassing. That's one of my favorite things about comic books in the 60s <laughs> is depictions of hippies. Oh, yeah. Because you know all the men who were <clears throat> writing those were well over teenage years and we're not going to be hippies in any way. They were as square as could they be. They were as square as could be. They were nerds. They were drawing comic books. But, oh, man, their hippies are hilarious. Oh, yeah. Now, uh, David Berg's hippies were always funny. Yeah. His lighter side of dot, dot, dot in Mad Magazine. I always liked his hippies. <laughs> they always looked all good. of them. All of them. Archie comics were especially good for just, like, wow, you missed the whole boat on hippie culture. Yeah, you guys... You under- got, like, some paisley tea <laughs> on the guy and maybe some beads, and you think that's about where it ends, and... Yeah. Oh, it's insane. But, yeah, I think I think people missing the basic understanding that all you have to do is tell a good story. Yeah. And have some good actors portray that story in a believable way, and mm-hmm. you'll have a successful movie. You know, let's look at The Witch, for example, you know... This is a movie where one guy was in control of the idea that let's tell a story. It's sort of told in a fairy tale fashion and it's set a certain way and it's got a certain mood and there's a design and a look to it, but we're just going to go with telling a story. Yeah. And it was unfucked with and it turned out to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it follows was relatively unfucked with awesome movie. Yeah. All the ones that we've talked about that we liked were the ones that had the least interference from studios. I imagine. Now, a room full of suits, at what point do they convince themselves that they know what's good for everything and everybody? 
I mean, that, that kind of sociopathic behavior, I don't know where it comes from. I guess if you've got a couple of hits under your belt, you think you know what's going to sell. Yeah, if you happen to be on the team that released that thing that was a hit, I guess you could say, I know what's best. Yeah. Look at this hit I was a part of. You know, it could be like that guy, John Peters, from that Superman film we watched the... <laughs> oh, yeah. The Death of Superman. And, and his the, the, want the Death of, of Superman Lives. Yes, his want of a giant spider. Oh, yeah. And, uh... For any any reason you could come up with at any cost, this yeah. there has to be giant... And that guy was a hairstylist at some point, I believe. <laughs> I don't think he was ever had any idea he would be a producer and he sounds like a dumbass but at the same time some of the things he said were like oh yeah audiences would have eaten that up yeah you You have to put Uh, yourself in the mindset of audiences of of the day yeah because he he tells a little story that he wanted batman to say i'm batman motherfucker at the (laughs) beginning of batman 89 and he's like the kids would go nuts and uh, as a 12 year old i would have lost my mind yeah. Batman said that it would be so awesome but it betrays the very character of Batman I guess Batman doesn't have to say intercourse to get his point across yeah <laughs> Batman's yeah. got some psychological problems hey when we come up on the one year anniversary of this podcast which is going to be October maybe the first week of October but we'll we'll do like a really great extravaganza run up to Halloween I'm sure yeah um I think we should talk about like the best of everything that we've watched and or talked about that, you know, over the year, because there have been some good ones. What if we, what did we watch first? The car? uh, The first one we did was Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. And then I think as the Mind Eraser episode, we did the car because we'd all seen it, but didn't really remember it. Yeah. We got to come up with another Mind Eraser. Yeah. And I would say Night of the Lepus, but I know that other podcasts have talked about it recently and we've had a couple of coincidences where we've talked about things that other casts have talked about um but i think that would be kind of fun to do a retrospective of some of our favorites yeah and then uh yeah we'll come up with some cool ideas and if anyone has suggestions find us on facebook or instagram and uh just communicate with us hey i think this would be a great one i like Brain damage, I thought was was just fun for all its own reasons. I like brain damage. Yeah, uh, I'd like to find some more like near dark that I totally missed out on. Yeah, like if we could find another horror movie I haven't heard of. I mean, I've not seen everything. Obviously, I'm not Jolian, but uh, <laughs> Jolian, the man of a thousand movies. He he's got the movie collection he owns over a thousand dvds mine is all rinky dinky bootleg copies and paper envelopes <laughs> which is okay i don't even care as long as it plays and you get the story it plays i usually watch a film once you know i remember the one that was hard to find back in the day was i madman and i kind of suspect it wasn't awesome but it might have been good well i find it i doubt it's the quality of near dark um, yeah, we'll have to see if, the, you know, cause I did ask that question when I interviewed Joe Bob Briggs, you know, what are some hidden gems? And he gave me a couple of real oddballs, but if we could get the hidden gems answer from a couple of people, maybe we'll run across something else. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was glad to find out that that was, that near dark was something that I thought I had seen, but hadn't at all. Yeah. Yeah. Was... And I'd never even heard of it. It's, it's wild. Cause that was that came out in my prime horror movie watching. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, man, I loved horror movies. I oh, still yeah. like them a whole lot, but I was a nut as a little kid for horror movies. Oh, yeah. The bloodier, the better. You know. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? Like, you know, you the first time you catch something that you don't expect it to be what it ends up being, like Evil Dead 2. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, this is going to be really cool. I saw Evil Dead. It was this. It was that. And then Evil Dead 2 has got a totally different thing going on. You know? Yeah, Evil Dead I I was creeped out by when I first saw it as a kid. Yeah, I think it, a lot of people were. It, it was pretty spooky, and I did not. I mean, I liked it, but at the same time, I did not like it. 
you know, I found it frightening in a way. Uh, and then Evil Dead 2, I was kind of scared to watch and then watched it. And then you laughed awesome. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one is, that's that's on my list of favorites for sure. But I think, what, yeah, what we should try to do is is find another hidden gem that'll be fun to talk about and start kind of concocting our notion right now, our ideas of like, what should we do to sort of say, hey, we made it to a year. Look at us. Let's talk about some cool stuff and maybe revisit some ones from from before. And uh, I think that'd be a lot of fun. There are a couple of um, people who are who are really important to horror movies and the history of horror movies that I'm friends with on Facebook. And I'm thinking if we could dial in like how to use this particular digital recorder with a um, with a phone kind of lined into mm-hmm. it. If it could sound as clear as we'd like it to sound, we can test it just by having a friend call us. If we can do that, there's a couple people who I think we could possibly get on our show. It would be a lot of fun. That'd be awesome. Yeah. I won't say who I think would do it, but there's a couple of them. And uh, I think that'd be cool, too. I heard the John Carpenter concert was amazing. Oh, did that already happen here? Yeah. Oh, man. I've been hearing a lot about the ones that were elsewhere, like L.A. and whatnot. I think it happened here. Uh, Somebody on Facebook who I believe he still lives in Denver... Who's One that? of my friends, uh, Eric something. Oh, okay. Gorman or okay. Gilmore? I don't remember his last name. He's like an acquaintance. I met him. He drew comics briefly and was in a band. Okay. But was, he saw it and said, this is amazing. Yeah. Because I know he was going to play the, I think it was the Gothic. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I guess he, I guess he's like rolling this whole thing like a rock star. Yeah. Which, you know, it seems like, oh, it might just be him with a, you know, a keyboard on a stand, but I guess just him with a cassette player. <laughs> okay. Okay. Here's this part. Here's this cool part. But yeah, a lot of people are just saying this, this stuff's amazing. And, uh, yeah, yeah. The, he took a photo of, of the stage and it looked like they had a couple of guitar players and a, yeah. a big screen behind big projection. Yeah. yeah. Big projection. Yeah. That, yeah. that, that's the stuff I saw. And, and, uh, yeah, all the, there are some other podcasts that I listen to that are um, horror movie podcasts that are um, based in L.A. And they saw like the like the hometown L.A. show and they're oh. like, holy crap, he rocked it like like you would hope he would, but didn't believe he would go do. And that's good to hear because, you know, the, he's given a lot and and hasn't been up to much lately. No. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm going to tour with my music. I'm going to be back in on the Halloween thing with Michael Myers. Yeah. I mean, he had a whole series that were pretty bad. He did some bad stuff. The vampires one you talked about. Yeah, that's what put me off of uh, Near Dark. Yeah. I was conflating those two. I remember going and seeing Ghost of Mars. I know people love it or hate it. Ooh. I guess it's a stinker in most people's opinion. Actually, I don't remember anything about it. It would be a good mind eraser. Oh, but I remember not liking it, but I'd watch it again. I can honestly say I've never seen it or I've never seen more than a couple of minutes here and there. Well, we'll put that on the list. Write that down. Ghosts of Mars. John Carpenter's Ghost of Mars. Oh, yeah, Not to be confused with uh, the Three Stooges' Ghosts of Mars. I'm going to put an apostrophe in here so it's wrong. Ghosts of Mars. (laughs) I'm going to put an apostrophe on Mars, too. Oh, my God. It's like it's like being on Facebook. In the future, I imagine that's going to be the rule. It's just before an S, you put an apostrophe. Yes. The apostrophe's job is to warn you that there's an S coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Facebook's fault. His, his... And loose is now loose. Yes. Loose. They should just make it L-U-Z-E, and, and you just have to know from the context what it is. Oh, God. What was the other one that drives me bananas? Um, ah, it doesn't matter. It's 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 all it's all the same bad stuff. Oh, uh, one thing that is funny though is in Futurama, I like how in the future, people actually say "axe" instead of "ask." Yes. <laughs> I don't think they say "let me ask you something" no. without just switching it to "axe." Yeah. I don't think they do that at. I mean, like every instance of it in mm-hmm. the series, I think it's "axe." Yeah, I think it is. Like they a, reference it pretty early, and then, yeah, they use that joke. Yeah. So, should we wrap it up? I say let's wrap it up. 
All right. Rate and review us on iTunes. Please do, if you get a chance. Uh, post on Facebook. Yeah. Communicate with us on Instagram. What is it? Chewing the scenery? Yeah, we're pretty easy to find. You'll recognize that it's us when you see it. I don't think there's anyone else using that on Facebook that is a horror movie podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, Instagram, um, we did manage to get Chewing the Scenery. So, Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's us. And um, and if you have any hidden gems out there, yeah, suggest them to know. us. Yeah, don't be afraid. We, we like hearing from people. And um, we love you, Brazil. Yes, Brazil. N- new listeners in Brazil all the time. Brazil. Yeah. Anaconda. Yeah. Was filmed partially in Brazil. Yeah. Be proud, Brazil. <laughs> Be proud. <laughs> Be proud of that shitty movie that was filmed in your country. 10% of which was filmed in your country, and the other 90% yeah. was filmed on the back lot of whatever studio. <laughs> and again, thank you to the Moonrays for giving us that intro Creature Features song at the top of the show. Find them on iTunes, find them on Amazon, find them on Facebook. They are the Moon Dash Rays. All right. Well, Jolien is on the moors as we speak. Uh, so but the rest of you, stay off the moors. Goodbye.